As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Beyond the Big Screen Podcast with your host, Steve Guerra. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Big Screen Podcast, where we talk about great movies and stories so great they should be movies. Links to learn more about our guest today can be found in the show notes. You can support Beyond the Big Screen on Patreon.com. By joining on Patreon, you help keep Beyond the Big Screen sustainable and get many great benefits. Go to Patreon.com forward slash Beyond the Big Screen to learn more and sign up. Find show notes, links to subscribe, and leave Apple Podcast reviews by going to our website, BeyondTheBigScreen.com. And now, let's go beyond the big screen. Thanks for joining Mustache Chris and I, I once again on Beyond the Big Screen as we continue our three-part series, Getting Ready for Halloween, which is coming shortly. Uh, we're going to be looking at some horror and Halloween movies. Today, we're going to take a chomp out of the 2011 vampire film classic Fright Night. The 2011 version of Fright Night is a remake of the 1985 cult classic original. The 2011 version takes some of the satirical elements of the original, but with the pre-COVID 2000s twist, this movie has more going on than it appears at first glance. Yeah, I'm interested why you... uh pick this movie because you've mentioned to me you're not a really big fan of the horror genre and uh, i'll you know i lay my cards on the table i'm a i used to be a pretty big horror kind of junkie myself i still enjoy a lot of horror films I'm not into it as much as i used to be so i don't know why did you pick this movie i think this movie is i saw it at probably pretty close to when it came out and there was a couple of things that really grabbed me i think it really grabbed that 2011 vibe where there was a, a dip, there was a recession going on. I don't know if it was a full-blown recession or not, but it was economic times weren't really great. And I remember being in that situation of the housing market was lousy and uh, 
just the the malaise kind of of their early uh 20 teens and i wonder if that'll become a historical thing or maybe it, it'll be completely washed over by what happened nine ten years later but i also the acting in this for really just a throwaway movie in a lot of ways i think it was acted superbly with um anton yelchin and colin farrell uh amy uh not amy poots imogen poots and tony collette just to, for for a movie that's a borderline young adult teenagerish horror movie to to be so superbly acted it was just such a surprise and it's a movie i come back to I'll, i've probably watched it five or six times i'll just hey let's watch fright nights and it's just a a really fun movie to watch yeah i would say um yeah i remember when this came out and it was this was like right in the middle of i don't know if People remember the vampire craze so like this is when like twilight was out and there was that oh i i it was a, that terrible show what was it called true blood i don't know oh, a lot yeah. of people liked it <laughs> and i think there was another tv show and there was like a bunch of other movies and it was i don't know like the vampires weren't very menacing and they were like i mean in twilight don't they like glitter or something when they go into sunlight or something yeah. like like just not scary at all and I mean, I think they saw an opportunity to kind of cash in. It's like, although everyone's like watching vampires, but they did uh, try to make the, the vampires menacing again, which is something that was, I believe, was missing at the time. Yeah, I think that that's what it really gets down to is that it has this, it hits these major themes that it really, this, I think that this movie on the first, on the first base of it has no no real business hitting the isolation of modernity faith and belief uh cynicism there's just so many things that it hits and i think that what it's surprising is that it just comes out of nowhere that it 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 takes the horror genre seriously and it is a, a real social commentary i think maybe People think I'm a lunatic for <laughs> for thinking this, but I, I think that of so many movies that have come out, and especially in that vampire era, like you talked about, to get a movie that a takes horror seriously and then goes deeper into social issues, I think that it, it just knocks it out of the park. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on here, a lot of themes. Like, I mean, you can enjoy the film just for what it is, but if you want to just scratch a little bit underneath the surface, it's uh, it's much more enjoyable, in my opinion. It's this weird thing in North America where people just move great distances and everyone's kind of rootless. So there's like economic reasons, there's various reasons why people move. But I mean, nowadays, is it expected that you are going to change your job every five years? And usually if you have to change your job, you have to change where you're living. And I mean, really, like for a lot of people, why even bother really to get to know your neighbors or set up, you know, serious roots in a community when you know you're just going to leave in five years? It's just like uh, moving from one hotel to the next, right? Which, I mean, further... Um, gets to your point that uh, in a lot of ways this community that in this opening shot shows it's i mean yeah people are kind of like living right beside each other but they're not really they're all isolated they all moved there from somewhere else and they're all going to be moving again in a couple of years or even a couple of months and that's the thing that really sets up to where jerry the vampire played by C colin farrell a, a vampire who 
is living in the shadows in a place like Las Vegas, where most people, a lot of people are working third shift. We're, we, again, weird shifts, people coming and going that you don't know your neighbors. Somebody like a vampire can thrive in that environment. So you move into oh, yeah. they've set up perfectly the the fantastical element of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and because you're not really talking to your neighbors and you're just, oh, this is, I don't know, he goes to work and I go to work and his hours are kind of different, I guess. You don't really get to know this person. So he can blend right in with regular people and no one's really going to notice because no one's ever, no one's really talking to each other, right? I thought one of the things, now that we're talking about Jerry the Vampire, is this movie, what I really liked, and tying back to how you said the vampire craze, it honors vampires in this movie in a way that the, I mean, let's be honest, in that 20, late 20 aughts and into the 20 teens, that shows or movies like Twilight and the books Twilight, they didn't honor the vampire genre this really did it followed the rules to a t yeah that's that's what i really enjoyed about the movie and you know in terms of the you know you can't go into the sunlight and stake through the heart and um you know superhuman strength i know in the, i think it was in the i think in the twilight movies they kept that part but um yeah and it also made vampires i mean what they are right predators menacing soulless monsters which uh, a lot of those uh shows that we had mentioned earlier they just didn't do that at all it's like either i don't know they were like sexy or cool or they were like i don't know like te teenage heartthrobs like it's just that's not what a vampire is at all i mean there's nothing wrong with that but i don't understand like do something else then i don't understand why you're using vampires as like a, a literary device or i guess in this film like a film device that just I don't know. It always rubbed me the wrong way. I, there was one movie that came out around that time that did something different with the vampire genre that I thought was kind of cool. I mean, it's a little tangent, but like maybe one day we'll do that film as uh, 30 Days of Night where they're uh, like in Alaska and they come out when uh, it's all dark or what have you. And it's like they just roam free for those 30 days because there's no sunlight. I thought that was a, and then they did something slightly different with the with the. Uh, vampire character steve here we are a member of the parthenon podcast network featuring great shows like scott ranks history unplugged podcast and other great podcasts go to parthenonpodcast.com to learn more and here is a quick word from our sponsors As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I, what I really, and I, uh, not to harp on the, the late aughts, early 20 teens vampire they tried to make vampires in Twilight that they had a, a heart, so to speak, that they they really had a shred of good guy in them. And when a vampire in the trope, and I'm sure at some point, if we uh, were talking about doing a series on vampires and the history of vampires, but really that the trope or the literary device of the vampires is that they're really the absolute worst of humanity. If you if you take the, the the human person and you you turn them into a, a rational beast, really, they're uh, vampires are a rational predator. They're the worst of humanity, and that's what I think that they're supposed to represent. It's not that they're like some uh, good guy that just happens to live forever or whatever. I think they're supposed to represent the very worst of us well i mean yeah i mean it has to thrive off drinking other humans blood and i I know in some of the some of the movies and books they've said like oh they can drink animal blood but it doesn't last very long or what have you i think that was interview with the vampire um yeah but they they live off human blood and i mean they kill people or they change people and bestow upon them this curse of being a vampire um yeah, like it's supposed to be the absolute worst of humanity, like you pointed out, like boiled down. It's supposed to be horrific. It's supposed to be something scary. And I go, and I know even like early on with like Bram Stoker, there's, uh, you know, Dracula is kind of, uh, he's appealing in some ways to a particular type of people, a particular type of person, but, you know, stripped away. He's he's a monster, right? And they, in that movie and in the book, they pick that too. Yeah, and the vampire character is really, it's appealing, but it's also monstrous. It's both of those in one, which I think in in a way is if you take our rationality and pull away the good, it is, it can be charismatic and monstrous at the same time. I, I think that that's the terrifying part of the vampire is because it's a reflection on us. What was like Colin Farrell mentioned? He had a difficult time trying to get into the 
really get into the role because I'm playing a character that has no soul. And I mean, it really does come across in the movie where even when Jerry, when we find out pretty quickly that he's a vampire, but he's like interacting with, you know, Charlie's mom and his girlfriend and even Charlie uh, and pretending like he's not a vampire. He comes across as, yeah, I can see the appeal of the guy's handsome, I guess. And he's, you know, he's muscular and he seems kind of cool, but it's all it seems all artificial like there's no warmth there's no soul behind his and when he's trying to act like a human and i think the one thing with the the vampire with the the whole genre is somebody like jerry and that maybe that's how to me that maybe that is what the thing that really connected most with with me in this movie is that colin farrell however he pulled that out he nailed that person who is totally without humanity, but he's still in human form. Well, I he's totally devoid of the good of humanity. Yeah. And it's he but he plays it in such a way that like I can see how he would fool people, right? Oh, I can absolutely. see why. I could I could see how Colin Farrell could go to a bar or something like that and you know, pick up a girl or what have you, or, you know, fool a guy into thinking like, oh, he's a cool guy. He's going to help me do whatever. He's going to help me with my work around the house or, you know what, you know what I mean? And, but just, but you could tell like, just with his facial expressions and the way he acts it, it's all, he's playing a character. It's almost, I guess the mindset you'd have to get into, I, I don't know for sure, but assuming Colin Farrell probably studied some psychopaths or serial killers in terms of trying to get into that. Like, how do you play somebody with no soul um, and like devoid of humanity yet is still human? The other thing about vampires, I've gone into a little deep dive into Deuteronomy. We'll go theological for a minute. And so much of the really the ancient law and uh, you see like movies like blade which i know we'll get to blade at one time uh what the one thing i thought was really cool about blade is that the uh vampire was a sumerian but those ancient middle east middle eastern cultures the hebrews the sumerians etc blood was such a key element and drinking blood was horrific to the hebrews but in others uh, of those cultures, blood was what you sacrificed to the gods because blood is really life. And to think that these vampires, they're living purely off of the life of others. They're, they're literally sucking the life out of them. And that, that was another thing that this movie really, I think, captured perfectly. Jerry is sucking the life out of them the, the humanity out of them and he's giving them this artificial humanity when they become vampires yeah yeah for sure i mean even till this day you can people still drink blood right uh i know i i don't know the african tribes that do it but i've watched the videos where they puncture the cow's neck or the goat's neck and they're just drinking goblets of blood i mean it's very I mean, to our eyes, I mean, for me, I'm like, oh, that's a little much, <laughs> you know, it's till this day. And I believe it has like religious significance over there. Now, what, another aspect of the movie that I think the the movie really taps into is the the, uh, the idea of faith and belief and more than just 
religious faith because they do touch on that tangentially, but just belief in general of what do we believe? What do we see with our very own eyes? And how does our, our senses fail us or not give us the information we want? Because even Charlie, he sees what is happening that clearly there's something seriously wrong with Jerry. And for a good chunk of the movie, he doesn't even believe what his own senses tell us. And I think we see that so often, especially in our, in our modern world that we're, you know, we're supposed to be so believing in science, but science is really what can we observe? And I think that's a, it's a key trait of humanity that we are very easily fooled into not believing what we observe with our directly with our own senses. Well, yeah, I know you like you use an example like um, like Jerry is a monster that literally lives right next door, right? And his uh, friend uh, Ed is the one he notices it pretty quickly that you know Jerry's a vampire. And but he's a dork and he's kind of he comes across as kind of crazy and nobody really wants to associate with him because I know he's not popular. And like I pointed out, he's he seems unhinged. I mean, it's understandable. He's saying his his neighbor's a vampire. I think most people would be like, uh, are you sure about that? <laughs> um, yeah. You know what I mean? But he, he you know, he, if you actually listen to what he was saying, it's like I have video. I have this. I have this. I have this. I mean, me personally, I'd be like. I'm doubtful of this, but, you know, show me what you have and then I'll, you know, see what I think. Right. Um, but the thing is, with the majority of people don't want to even be associated with uh, associated with those people. Right. Because it's a social stigma that comes on to them and they kind of touch and touch touch on this in the movie where Charlie stopped hanging out with Ed because he's trying to get the good the good looking girl, Amy. But at this, he Charlie kind of sees Ed as being this like social pariah. It's like, well, if I associate with him, other people are going to judge me based on what this guy's saying and what he's doing. Right. But if and I'll use the modern example, right, like just from recent history, I mean, the, look at Jeffrey Epstein's an example, right, where he was right around with all these people and the writing was all on the wall. And it's not like nobody had been talking about what was going on with Jeffrey Epstein, right? But the difference is now you can talk about it openly, but not that long ago, you were considered a crazy person and an insane person, really, like a social pariah for bringing this guy up and this island and the whole nine yards. You were, you know, you were, I don't know, like a, a lunatic, you know, that this is the stuff that like Alex Jones would say, or this is the stuff that, uh, you know, so, you know, I'm just using him as an example. He wasn't the, he was one guy, but he wasn't the only guy by any stretch of the imagination and everyone just ignored it. You know, now, now it's okay to talk about it because it's socially acceptable, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't bring it up at, you know, family dinners, you know, but I mean, in a lot of ways, Ed, he's uh, he's observing he's videotaping he sees jerry he's he knows the truth and everyone's just ignoring him because to even entertain that idea causes like a social anxiety in people because it's like oh my god like what if somebody hears me say this or what you know what i mean it, it and it also people don't want to accept it because um, for different reasons like it causes a social anxiety nobody wants to think that like somebody like Jeffrey Epstein is like a real 
person, right? Because it leads to all other kinds of problems of like questioning, like what else is going on? And that leads you down. I get it, right? Because it's an uncomfortable feeling. Um, it's the same thing with Jerry. Jerry, uh, Ed's going around and telling everybody that Jerry's a vampire. I mean, who really wants to even believe that's the case? I go back. To, I always think of this experiment that they've done where everybody will be in on it except for one person. And they'll be sitting in a big uh, conference room with uh, people and they'll pull the fire alarm and all the people in on it won't get up. But the person who doesn't know that it's a fake fire alarm, if they don't see everybody else leaving, they stay put. And it happens. It's like nine times out of 10. The person who doesn't know because they see that nobody else is going. So they stay put, too. And we see that in situations where the, the, the madness of crowds, where either everybody will go nuts or everybody will just freeze up. And nobody wants to be the one who goes outside of the pack. It it really is. It's a fundamental nature of humanity that we we don't, you you know, we want to say that we're scientific and that we follow the follow the science. But how many times do we see observe something with our senses and we ignore all the conclusions that really are the that naturally come from our direct observations of a situation because it either doesn't fit into what we know or it could it, it could get us in uh get us not um out it turns us into outcasts amongst the tribe, so to speak. I mean, uh, Nassim Taleb writes uh, about this all the time in books like the, the Black Swan, where people don't see the highly improbable come because it doesn't follow into what they expect to come. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and the I mean, I would say that this is I mean, for the most I would say it's a relatively healthy human instinct to you know band together and follow kind of what the group is doing but it can get to a point where it is unhealthy where there's something that's very blatantly obvious is not right and yet we're just kind of going along with it because everybody else is going along with it and to do otherwise it will either create social anxiety in the individual or you know become honestly like a social outcast you know you might get fired at your job if you uh, speak too loudly you might you know have family members turn on you i mean that's not healthy at all it really it's a it is in a way it's uh even if you look at it and if you contrast what you were saying earlier about people moving and they don't have the uh the same social network that they used to it, you know, the I get the real social network of people who they live with, with their family and their uh, th- their neighbors. But we still have that baked into us uh, evolutionarily that we don't want to fall outside of the of the group. And that's it. It, it was a evolutionary uh, way to survival tactic. Uh, but it's it is so hard wired into us to not want to be outside of the group. I would argue that it's even worse now because of the isolation, because you don't have a larger group to confide in in terms of, you know, observations that you've made or beliefs that you have or different ideas. 
um, that you can trust. Now it's, I would say because of the social isolation a lot of people are feeling, it's even more powerful to try to fit in even more. I know that seems kind of oxymoronic, but it, it, it not really, because if you start, you know, going off the handle and saying stuff like that or doing, you know, talk about any particular issue. I mean, it seems like any issue you talk about, you end up getting in trouble nowadays, but um, you're not going to, you're going to feel even more pressure to fit in because you don't really have anybody that you can trust. I mean, honestly, trust uh, to express uh, maybe different views to. Another really uh, important scene. So uh, that they really, uh, they obey the rules of the vampire. And I think they really tapped into this, this whole idea of faith is, uh, Charlie pulls out a cross and he holds it up to, uh, he holds it up to Jerry and Jerry like goes back like he, like it's affected him, but then he just runs up and Charlie and he grabs the cross and he starts it on fire and he says, do you believe? And he says it only works if you believe. And so you have the obvious, the, the religious message to it, but people are using things uh, using tools almost of things that they believe in, uh, but they really don't believe in it. And I think that that's the, that's another thing that the movie tapped in it is that people just don't fundamentally believe in anything. And it, it leads into the, another theme that I saw in this movie of just cynicism that goes through our, our whole culture that, you know, our, our fundamental traditions we don't believe in. We don't believe in ourselves. We don't believe in our senses. And it's almost, it's not cool to believe in any of these things anymore. It's cool to not believe in anything. <laughs> That's exactly it, right? Uh, it's cool to be nihilistic, right? As would be the word for it, right? To have any, like, why would you believe in anything? It's... um I mean, in turn, I'll use like a political example or what have you. It's like the people who are like, well, I'm not left wing and I'm not right wing and I'm not that like I'm a centrist and I don't like what does that even mean? Right. Like it to me, it just what it's saying to me is you don't really believe in anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's what it's saying to me. You don't have any beliefs. And but that's a cool thing. Like, I mean, if you talk to regular people or just scroll through your social media, that seems to be like the general case. It's like, well, you know, like it's it's cool to be cynical about everything it's cool to be not believe in anything it's cool to um yeah it's cool to i don't know not be passionate about anything which is it's so bizarre to me yeah it's really it's um the this whole idea of you know i hate the left i hate the right so i'm just gonna pick and choose to be in the middle it's saying that you've really not given these ideas a thought because maybe the left really is right and if the, <laughs> or the right is really wrong or vice versa then you've just picked the middle ground of and you're you're not right in any you're not correct in any of your thinking it's not oh it's not a, a thought out argument it's just saying i'm going to be in the middle that doesn't yeah, it, that doesn't necessarily mean you're right you're correct. It probably doesn't mean you're right in a lot of ways. No, it doesn't. And uh, even with particular stuff like belief and passion, it doesn't even necessarily have to be. I mean, the left could be right in one way and the right could be right in one way. And you just go like, oh, well, I'm in the center. You, to me, it just shows that you haven't really thought about the issue because you would probably lean in one direction or the other. You know, it's um, 
it's i mean i mean i guess we're going on politics now but i mean centrism is just it's a lack of belief about anything really it probably gets back to a nihilism as a, a in a way of I don't like to listen to the arguments and I don't want to listen to the debate. So I'm just going to really check out and I'm going to be the middle of the road without really evaluating any of the, the information at hand. When it, you know, and it's, and I've talked about this before on different, on different shows we have, there's like core beliefs that you can't be in the center about, right? I mean, we're not going to use examples, but maybe, down the road if we do like something like political movies or what have you we can maybe use some examples but there's like core beliefs that you just you can't be in center of the road like when jerry brings up like you have to believe you can't like well i'm a centrist when it comes to believing in christ it's either you do or you don't there's no there's no center route right and obviously charlie i don't know maybe later in life he does but at that point he doesn't so the cross is meaningless because he it doesn't his belief doesn't bestow it any power that's kind of how i interpreted the scene like if you had like a saint or you know maybe like somebody like martin luther right you might disagree with him or not but i'm sure if he held the cross you know what i mean like it would have some effect on a jerry um because he's bestowing his he actually believes in this symbol and he's bestowing it with some power right and i guess then the way that they're doing it in this universe. I know in some vampire movies, it's just like the cross shows up and it's like, oh, I can't do anything with it. And this movie, it, I guess it requires that you have legitimate belief about some about Christ and Christianity. Which I think is the point of the movie that you have to believe in something. You, you can't be... You can't be just wishy-washy through life. You have to make a, a stand. And I think that is really the essence of the movie. I didn't think about it where, where Charlie stands. What's the middle ground between the people who don't believe in vampires, who think it's insane, and the fact that Jerry exists? One of them is the truth. One of them is is validity that vampires in Charlie's world exist and there's no middle ground. You can't pick, oh, well, maybe they do, maybe they don't. No, you know, Charlie knows that vampires exist. I think that that's what it, to me at least, that's what the movie really stands for is that uh, you have to pick, you have to pick a ground and stand on it. And you can't be you can't be wishy washy about it. You can't be fair and balanced. You have to pick it and believe in it. And that's what it goes back. Uh, one of the major characters of um, of Peter Vincent. He's the uh, the Hol the Las Vegas magician who does a vampire magic show. He's lost all of his faith even though he's seen vampires in real life and his parents were killed by vampires and he's lost the faith and what his own senses have told him. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I also kind of interpret his character that it was, um, he's like, he'll dip his toes into it, but like, because of what happened to him, it was so horrific that like actually really getting near a vampire again. Um, it's just it's debilitating to him so he puts on this facade where i mean one of the funnier scenes in the movie he like pulls off his black wig and takes off his fake mustache and stuff like that because he's like that that the peter vincent character that he plays on the show is kind of like a shield from i mean who he really is and what really happened to him that's 
how I kind of interpreted his character. Steve here again with a quick word from our sponsors. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. I'd like to say something about a new product I've tried called Calatrin. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calatrin is for healthy weight loss. I have taken Calatrin myself, and I can honestly confirm that I've lost weight, I sleep better, and I have found relief from a joint injury that I sustained in my arm. Calatrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age, and I am reaching of that age where things decrease. Taking Calatrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calatrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply, and this week, take advantage of their President Day Sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word BBS to 30605 and I'll send you a link to this special offer. Text the word BBS to 30605. Give Calatrin a try. I think you'll enjoy it and I'll talk to you next time. Well, that's an interesting way to look at it. I really, the way I thought about him, it was that he maybe that is the, the the case that he just couldn't deal with the the reality of what he knew and so he was just going to cash in on it but i think deep deep down he wanted to do something and he does pull that out at the end but it, it took a lot to get him to do it again with this to pull him into believing in something or believe or ex- accepting what he's seen with his own eyes, you know, open your eyes like the, you know, the Stanley Kubrick reference, right? A lot of people walk through lies with their eyes wide shut. Yeah. You know, I mean, Peter Vincent, he's 
purposely closing his uh, eyes to what he knows is the truth, though, right? I may, and I can, I can kind of get it, like it, because the truth is so horrific, he's shielding himself from it. But at some point, you have to face, you have to face the truth. This is probably a good time to get start getting into what we really liked about this movie and why it's a Holly, uh, Halloween classic. And for me, it's really. It took the genre of horror and vampire movies seriously, but it was satirical too. It was fun. It wasn't dark completely. It it was light and it took the the genre seriously, but it wasn't it didn't take it too seriously over the top. And I think it it caught the vibe of a time and a place. It was also a movie that Really, uh, not the whole family, but a good chunk of the family. Your your teens and all into adults could really sit down and enjoy this movie and get something out of it. And I think that that's really why it turned it turned into a Halloween classic for me, at least. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's a fun thrill ride. It, it reminds me we were talking about it earlier. S- Steven Spielberg had a little bit to do with this film. It has a very kind of Steven Spielberg kind of fun Raiders of the Lost Art kind of feel to it but within the horror genre um and like yeah i would say like a teenage like a young teenager who's kind of like i don't know maybe they like horror they kind of like like gothicy dark stuff i mean you can show them this movie and be fine i wouldn't show anybody younger than that because there is there is blood and gore and it is scary there's the the spielberg he had worked on a couple of scenes in particular in one scene that I think it's from my money too. It's probably the best scene in the whole movie is Charlie's friend, Ed corners, Jerry and through the, they chase each other and Ed goes into the pool and Jerry just slowly descends into the pool and Ed's holding up his cross. It, it doesn't affect Jerry at all. And then Jerry just slowly talks Ed into really consenting into becoming a vampire then he he bites him and they switch to a scene below from the pool so the camera is underneath what's going on and it just shows the cross falling out of ed's hand and descending into the depths and i think that that was such a powerful scene i mean it's one of the most powerful visually powerful scenes i think i've seen in any movie uh it's 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 deep it's it's emotional i I mean i i couldn't see how somebody couldn't see that one scene and say that this movie is worth watching yeah, as soon as you mentioned Spielberg had something to do with that scene, I saw it. I when I rewatched the movie, it's like I saw it right away. It's like, yeah, that's a that's a Spielberg thing. Now, what would you say, Chris? You can maybe tell us what are some things you didn't like about this movie? Oh, didn't like. Um, I would have liked that they had. It almost seems like they cut time out of this movie in the sense that like Ed's relationship and Charlie's relationship is just kind of it feels a little rushed. Like I would have. I would have liked if they had fleshed out that relationship a little bit more because it's like you get it for I don't know, like 15 minutes or what have you. And then Ed gets turned and then he's kind of out of the movie for like an hour and shows up again later. It just I don't know I felt like the movie suffered a little bit. I would have liked to have had their relationship, um, I don't know, fleshed out more. I can't say that there's a ton that I I really didn't like about the movie, but I think some of the things I think the teen romance 
stuff was just a little bit too much for for my tastes. I mean, maybe that that's probably the thing that kept the teens watching was the romance angle and the high school stuff. I, and I think some of the, the Peter Vincent, the shtick, got a little old that we got the point that he was a charlatan and a fraud, but they they just kept beating a dead horse. And I thought that they could have moved on a little bit more from that. And they got the point across. Well, it's, it's weird because they mentioned that this is one thing maybe I would have changed the move. They mentioned that Jerry's the one that killed his parents. That, to me, I should have been the opening shot. But we get the shot that his friend Adam, his parents and him are getting killed. Um, Charlie and Ed's friend from uh, by Jerry. I would have had the opening shot be Vince's parents. Um, because Adam's not really all that important to the movie and it doesn't. I mean, he's just on screen for a couple of seconds and that's it. And it did, wouldn't really have changed Ed's story all that much. Um, and it would have, uh, I don't know, would have made Vincent's character, it would have made him a little bit more important, added a little bit more depth. Because we. it's just kind of like a throwaway line. It's like, wait, what? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's what I would have done at the beginning of the movie. I think not showing Adams and his parents getting killed would have cast more doubt too on on the whole story like how can you really believe what's going on if you haven't seen once you see adam's parents and adam getting killed then you know it's vampires there's no doubt there once once that happens i would have liked to have seen a lot more backstory on jerry and i think they could have built that in i i think that that would have been it maybe would have turned it into a different movie maybe that was what made it sort of mysterious is that we don't know anything about jerry and his background or we just know that he's always been there but it, it would have been cool to find out who jerry was yeah you know and they could have maybe just thrown a couple i don't know he mentioned something it's like oh i remember i don't know how long how old they say he's in the movie it's like all oh, i remember like living in like the roman empire or something i was in you know caligula's uh house or something do you know what i mean right because that would be a place like somebody like jerry would probably hang out um yeah like little things they could have he could have mentioned just you know just gave a little hints but i mean maybe they purposely thought it would have been better if they just left him mysterious and you're wondering like where did this vampire come from i think in a way they had to do that because then you'd start to become twilight again you you get back into that loop of oh okay it's just the standard a uh, new wave vampire movie, glitter vampire movie, where you keep it completely obscure. And that's really his background story is that it's obscure. And it probably they were thinking too, it's like, well, Jerry's just, he's a soulless, bloodthirsty monster. What else do you need to know about him? He's not cool. There's nothing cool about him. Like he's not, you know what I mean? I, you know what I'm saying? Like he's it's, cool on the surface. He's incredibly he's cool. cool. Yeah. But there, you know what I mean? Like, well, let's let's not like add this like entire interesting backstory where like, oh, like Jerry legitimately seems kind of cool. Like, look, he's like he saw the 30 years war and he he was at the American Revolution. It's like, no, he's a bloodthirsty monster. That's what he is. There's nothing more to it than that, you know, like kind of like how people I don't know. It's weird. Like, like certain serial killers or what have you, like people be, they get so much into 
like their background story and it's like you almost like kind of lose sight it's like yeah but they're monsters <laughs> you know what i mean right yeah. like how much more do we really need to know than that yeah don't contextualize him keep him the bloodthirsty monster that he is Adkin does the. I thought that was one of the uh, one of the best speeches and one of my favorites of all time is where Ed describes Jerry as a uh, he's a shark that he's yeah. he. Uh, I think it was a line that oh did Spielberg do Jaws? That might have been a, yeah he did Jaws yeah that might have been a throwback. Ed quotes uh, Quint's speech from Jaws is that they're just the, all they do they're predators that just sharks live breathe and eat and that's all they do and that's what jerry yeah. does that's all he does is live to eat and that's all yeah i thought that was another I, really a really great thing that they uh tied all together and don't contact jerry like you said jerry on the surface is really cool but he's not he's an evil monster or sympathetic in the least right because yeah. he He's not. There's, not. there's nothing. He's not. There's nothing to be sympathetic about. I mean, a couple of things I liked in the movie. I really liked uh, Amy and Charlie's relationship. I felt it felt very natural. Um, it, they felt like a young couple in love. Um, and to me, that it they really works for the movie because later on in the movie, when Jerry turns Amy and they like Charlie sees Amy and they like Jerry kisses her and then bites her it's like a it's like a gut punch right you know what i mean like not like not only is like jerry changing her like he seduced her too and took her away from me but that was like a thing that they that was a, a thing i enjoyed in the movie where you can kind of tell that like amy's attracted to jerry because jerry is kind it's of colin farrell yeah yeah but he's like jerry's also kind of all the things that charlie isn't like jerry's cool he's muscular he's strong he's decisive yeah um, confident all of it and charlie's not any of those things i mean in a lot of ways he's playing he's trying to not be the dork and um he's yeah he's the almost the opposite in a lot of ways you're i don't know it almost seems like amy she likes charlie she says that she likes him that because he's kind of a dork and you know he's kind of sensitive or what have you but she you can tell that she wants a little bit of jerry's decisiveness um and charlie i mean that's how i interpreted the whole thing and that's why it was like emotionally like it was like a gut punch it's you know she's almost cheating on him even though she was you know she was seduced with jerry's powers yeah it, it puts you in that feeling of when you're a, a young kid and you see the person you know that you're interested in who even if they're just talking to another person it gives you that gut punch they really that was another thing that they really got across just a fantastic fantastic movie so i think uh, i mean that's really my appeal to people to go and watch this is it 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 will it will definitely be another movie that rounds out if you're the type of person who you start getting into October and wants to watch the watch horror movies. I think that this is a quirky, fun one to round out kind of your your more serious horror, you might say.
The history of the popes of Rome and Christianity reaches into nearly every aspect of history. In the History of the Papacy podcast, we step over the rope. We dive in to discover more about the people, events, and background that define the influence of the popes of Rome and church, not only on the West, but the world. To start listening now, go to ParthenonPodcast.com or search for History of the Papacy on your favorite podcast platform.